Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Healing of Nations podcast, your podcast on religious liberty, prophecy, end-time events, and social and current issues of this day. And we have a very special guest. We have Elder Andy M. Pastor M., thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's good to be here. Now, Pastor M., can you tell us a little bit about your ministry and what you do? I serve as Religious Liberty uh, Director for the Michigan Conference, uh, as well as uh, Communication Director, and I also sprinkle or dabble in uh, with campus ministries as well, uh, serving students attending public universities. Now, your position as Religious Liberty Director is a new or a newer position, is it not? That's right. Uh, I would say towards the end of 2019 is when um, I was asked to serve in that capacity. Now, can you tell us uh, what made you more vocal and more passionate about religious liberty issues? So I was asked to serve towards the end of uh, 19. And of course, I'm, I'm thinking about the things that we're going to focus on in the upcoming year in 2020. And of course, in March, very early on in that year, in the spring, over here in Michigan, it's still kind of winter, right, in March. But you have COVID uh, pretty much uh, hits uh, our, our reality at that time. And so you have COVID hit. Uh, and, of course, all my energy is focused on communication at that standpoint or from that point. We're closing down churches or, or institutions, et cetera. And then you also have the presidential election and the events leading up to uh, the election also gaining traction. And as I'm looking on social media, as I'm talking amongst friends, I'm pretty much growing uh, concerned about what I'm seeing there as it relates to some of the assumptions that my brothers and sisters uh, have as it relates to church and state union. Uh, as it relates to uh, the actors that uh, will play a primary role at the end of time. And for me, I didn't feel that they were actually deriving those thoughts and ideas from inspiration or from scripture uh, and the spirit of prophecy. And so there was no wide planning or, you know, this is the moment kind of thing. It just kind of happened naturally. And I started vocalizing a little bit more on, on platforms that, that I, um, you know, run on like Facebook and, and so forth. Now, you have been vocal on the dangers of Christian nationalism. Have you received any pushback for your stance? Several years ago, a friend of mine, and many in your audience may know him, uh, Adam Ramden, asked me to do a, you know, two to three minute devotional. And, you know, he's a friend of mine. He didn't ask me to do it on anything political or uh, that sort of thing. But I, I addressed nationalism uh, based on a chapter in the book Christ Object Lessons. So I address it and, and share some of the, the dangers of having nationalistic uh, notions or ideas, uh, you know, ideas of superiority over other nations and how that can lead to disunity amongst us as brothers and sisters in Christ, that sort of thing. And so I did that, didn't think anything of it. And then in October... Uh, of last year in 2020, I happened to be on a religious liberty forum, you know, where a bunch of Adventists get together to discuss ideas, and it's on, it's a Facebook group, and I saw this article shared uh, about nationalism, 
And so that kind of, you know, piqued my interest. And so I started reading the article and, you know, to my surprise and amazement, um, the article actually referenced, it didn't mention me by, by name or, or that sort of thing, but it certainly referred or referenced that devotional. And in a nutshell, they were, they were blasting it. And, uh, and so, and there were some things that, that were said that were assumed uh, about the devotional that I never stated or said. And so I took that time to, uh, you know, it was shared on that, that forum. So I expressed my, my viewpoints, uh, you know, at publicly, but limited to that, that discussion board. And uh, there was a little bit of a back and forth there. And we kind of just agreed to, to disagree and, and move forward because I, I didn't want to make a big fuss about it, but I did want to um, address some of the things that, that were stated in the articles. There was some pushback there, but beyond that, outside of, you know, some posts here and there on, on social media, I have not received uh, any further pushback. Now, you live in a politically polarized swing state based upon the recent election map. And has political polarization penetrated the church in your conference? I think it certainly has, and, and perhaps no different than many other states. And I would say that the impact isn't anything that's formal. You don't have churches taking caravans to various uh, rallies, presidential or political rallies, that sort of thing. But certainly where you're seeing it, uh, is the interaction uh, that's taking place online. And so you'll have members uh, fighting against other members in, in relation to um, the election or the, you know, the given issue uh, of the time. And so, so certainly we're, we're seeing some of the impact of the polarizing uh, effects of politics in our churches and amongst members. At least at this point, it's it's not wide scale or it's not broken out into the public sphere. That's certainly good news. Has the recent political polarization in the church, in your opinion, impacted race relations in the church? I think it has. You know that it's kind of related to the the previous question. You know, I've I've had several um, African American brothers and sisters text me or call me about concerns of, of other members uh, and that what they posted uh, online. Uh, and, you know, they'd send me the link. And, and certainly there has been, you know, racist comments on Adventist social media posts. And so in that sense, you know, race relations has certainly been uh, impacted. But again, it's more on a person-to-person level, church member-to-church member level. And one of the challenges that I see is, you know, when several of my black friends uh, called, the biggest challenge for them is they don't want to take this out into the public just because no African-American wants to be typecast as that angry or aggressive uh, black male or female who thinks everything is about race and racism. And, and nobody wants that, especially in a predominantly white conference. So, I think we all of us can do a better job to to provide some support uh, and more support uh, on an individual person to, to person level, and, uh, and and really help to alleviate some of the isolation 
and the loneliness that, that many feel in, in our conferences, in our churches, and, and so forth. So, yeah, I would say certainly race relations has been impacted, and, but it's still in the closet. It, it's, it's very quiet, but it's certainly underground. Now, you and I both uh, saw the beginnings of the GYC movement. I remember you as one of the first presenters of GYC back in 2002. I was an attendee at that conference many years ago at Pine Springs, and you've seen Mm -hmm. the resurgence of a revival of conservative Adventism. There are some critics of conservative Adventism today since the last four years that have stated that conservative Adventism has turned into white nationalism. What are your thoughts on this? You know, I I certainly understand um, where they might be coming from. And, you know, I serve, I I, I consider myself a conservative Adventist. Um, I work for the Michigan Conference, which is widely known to be a conservative conference and and predominantly white, as as I mentioned previously. But to say that, you know, um, that the conference or, or myself uh, uh, is involved in, in white nationalist sentiments, et cetera, I think that would be a stretch, certainly not on, a, on any formal level. Now, having said that, um, I do believe that the talking points, the talking heads uh, stemming from white nationalists and their various news outlets uh, where many of our members, uh, and not just in Michigan, but across the board, you know, they're, they're getting, if you're right-leaning or you're Republican, you're going to get your news from certain areas. And so I, I, I do believe that some of those sentiments that are expressed um, um, from perhaps white nationalists have trickled down into the narrative of, of many of us. And so in that sense, I, I, I can see that. Um, I will say this uh, in addition to that. There are several independent online publications that make no bones or they, they do very little to hide the fact uh, of, of where they get their ideology. Um, and it's very pervasive, you know, um, a very conservative, I would say even right-wing or uh, white nationalist uh, sentiments that are, are expressed freely there. And, you know, because these are conservative publications um, and uh, many of our members are also reading these publications, and in that sense, yeah, it is concerning. And, and I do feel like um, there is a growing sentiment that is tending towards white nationalist sentiments, but in terms of our members and church members actually going to their sites and and they're part of that movement, um, that would be a stretch in my perspective. Are you surprised that some conservative Adventists are sympathetic to the religious right today? I'm not surprised. I feel it's been that way uh, for some years now. What I'm more surprised about is just how many have really accepted uh, the ideology that's coming out from the religious right um, establishments. And uh, that, to me, is the, probably the most concerning. Do you think our prophetic message is being compromised by partisan politics? I do. Um, and in this way, you know, everyone, you know, the right and the left, they have the, their 
um, issues that they are focusing on in this day and age. On, on the right, you know, there's a big fear of a secular uh, state that's going to just do away with Christianity. Uh, uh, you know, there's the issues like abortion and LGBTQ uh, uh, concerns are, are certainly prevalent with the Equality Act and, and so forth. And, and then on the left, you have, um, you know, many who are involved in, you know, um, this uh, anti-discrimination movement, social justice issues, Black Lives Matter, what have you. And, and where I feel like we're getting off our message, it's not so much because of our focus on these issues uh, as much as it is about we're really fighting amongst each other. And, and I think this level of disunity over something that's political in nature, it's not even theological or, or biblical, um, is, is very concerning. And this has really derailed us from our purpose, our identity as the remnant church and, and taking the everlasting gospel uh, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. So in that sense, I do feel uh, like we have been derailed um, uh, away from our prophetic message. Now, you've been in ministry for, dare I say, two decades now? More than two decades? Something like that. Yeah, it's hard to tell, and it's, it's you're reminding me of my age, so it's, uh, you know, disheartening, but, you know, it's <laughs> uh, it, it's been a privilege and an honor to serve um, in, in the capacity that the Lord has entrusted. I think you and I are kind of in the same uh, age bracket and the same generation, so we're in the same boat. Um, okay. And you've been, you know, through the self-supporting ministry work. You've been through self-supporting schools as well. So you've been imbued with a lot of exposure to our prophetic message and end-time events. Now, sure. my question is this. Before 2016, was there a consensus on the dangers of the religious right in end-time events? during that time, before 2016? You know, it's that's hard to, to gauge, you know, without having some data to, to support it. I mean, anecdotally, I could uh, make a, a stab at that. But by referencing 2016, I'm, I'm assuming you're referencing the, the pre-Trump uh, uh, presidency at some level. And, and so certainly, uh, if we want to talk about post-2016, um, beginning with the whole election cycle uh, and then through the presidency and, and today, um, you know, the former president, certainly in the minds of many Christians, uh, and that includes Adventists, they really see him as a, a champion of, of Christianity, the one who's going to go to bat to fight against uh, abortion and other issues uh, prevalent uh, today. And, you know, for Christians, for biblical Christians, the answer to the challenges of society has never been uh, and shouldn't uh, ever be uh, on the basis of, of depending on a politician or someone elected to government. You know, we, we have traditionally held to a, a strong stance on, on the separation of, of church and state. What we need to be depending much more uh, upon today is our, our Bible studies, uh, preaching of the Word of God, uh, going out and doing service in our communities and making an impact, a winsome 
uh, impact in our community towards the gospel. At the end of the day, you know, in the words of Jesus, he said, by this they shall know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And to me, that is the litmus test. And when I see all the hostility, the anger, and the, the volatile uh, attitudes uh, exhibited by many of us today, that's really sending a, a wrong message to the world, and it's certainly not good uh, for Adventism by any stretch of the imagination. So pre-2016, you know, certainly there wasn't the consensus we see today uh, with uh, the former presidency and the influence he's had upon Christianity uh, broadly in the evangelical world and in our political sphere, and of course its impact uh, within Adventism as well. What do you think of end-time preachers teaching that COVID-19 health mandates, vaccinations, and intolerance of the secular left, such as socialism and communism, will be the active agents to bring forth the mark of the beast? Well, you know, that, and that's a loaded question. I, I'm going to do my best to, to answer that. You know, first off, you know, no one knows exactly what role uh, these things will play. Uh, in, in the end of time and, and contribute to bringing about the mark of the beast. Now, with that said, you know, with the mandates and the, the vaccinations and the protocols we're seeing today and, and the pushback, you know, whether the arguments are these are civil liberty violations or religious liberty violations, you know, it, it takes on the whole gamut there. But oftentimes these mandates are and protocols are, are couched uh, as a part of a larger scheme, right, to obliterate religious uh, and civil liberties, to establish something, you know, the perceived uh, end game of the left for many is the establishment of some type of totalitarian uh, regime, be it, you know, communism or socialism or what have you. And so you, you see this type of rhetoric taking place amongst many right wing pundits and, and so forth. And obviously, many of our Adventists are also um, listening to these individuals, these talking heads and so forth. And they've adopted some of these assumptions uh, into our eschatological uh, framework, right? At one time, I, I remember growing up, you know, the big danger was the union of church and state. That is what we needed to be concerned about. We need to protect religious liberty, uh, etc. But now it's kind of transitioned um, to, hey, the big fear is secularism and, and the government uh, and so forth. Almost to the extent that, you know, SDA, many Adventists see the, the saving grace from secular authoritarianism, making government more explicitly Christian. As I mentioned before, we're no longer talking about the dangers of, of church-state union. We're not talking about apostate Protestantism and the role they play at the end, but now we're, our emphasis has become the, the secular state. And, you know, several months ago uh, in one of our larger churches in Michigan, um, you know, we, you, you had this type of ideology that was preached from a pulpit uh, in, in one of our churches. And, and I had some major challenges with that. There were a lot of back-end discussions taking place amongst pastors, uh, myself and, and others. You know, on audio verse, the, the presentations were like 
the most downloaded sermons for, for several weeks or more. And we're talking hundreds and hundreds of people who are eating this, this stuff up. And this is the primary challenge I personally had with those presentations. And that is, you know, of course, there was nothing mentioned. You know, when you read the book Great Controversy from cover to cover, what emerges is not this overarching, grandiose fear of the secular state. You know, what's emphasized is the dangers of, of church-state union, etc. And so when I was listening to these presentations, as he's painting, the, the speaker was painting a picture of the end times, right? There, there's no mention of apost the role of apostate Protestantism, uh, church and state union, spiritualism, not even the papacy, right? What we really need to do as expositors of truth is we need to, I believe, start with what's explicitly stated in the book Revelation chapter 13, and, and onwards, we can also look at chapters 17 and 18, uh, which correctly uh, defines the role of, of the church and the state and who's actually leading uh, the, the opposition against God's people at the end of time. It, it is a church and state union, and, and none of that was mentioned. So if you're going to connect the dots and, and add secular totalitarianism and climate initiatives and, and, and these perspectives, well, you got to start with what's revealed in scripture and spirit prophecy and then attempt to connect the dots of secular totalitarianism, et cetera, et cetera, to what we know to be true from scripture and spirit prophecy. That was not uh, done in those presentations, and to me, they were very misleading, and, and I do have challenges with that. Now, stemming from those presentations, I listened to those presentations as well. There were mentions of critical race theory, and social justice has become also a dirty word connected with the racial strife that's happening right now. You know, last summer it was Black Lives Matter. Now it's Stop Asian Hate. Um, there's a lot of racial strife that's brewing in the national consciousness today. How should Seventh-day Adventists respond to social justice? You know, I, I don't want to speak for all Adventists and, and mass. Obviously, I, I'm a fallible uh, human being as anyone else. But I can share what my personal MO is. You know, I also serve as communication director as well as religious liberty director, as I mentioned. And so, you know, if we were going to address, let's say, racism in our conference and, and we wanted, wanted to meet it head, head on, well, in our promotional materials, um, I probably would not use or I, I know I wouldn't use the term social justice simply because it, it's so controversial. There's so much baggage uh, surrounding uh, that term and its meaning is, is also just it, it's varied. And so. My approach has always been, let, let's, let's get people on board. It, it doesn't matter the, the specific terminology that we utilize. Let's just do something uh, to combat uh, racism that exists in our society and, and also in our church. Oh, I do want to mention this, though. You know, and then that's speaking towards those who blast other Seventh-day Adventists for utilizing the term. You know, I, I'm certainly... Uh, very strongly against that. You know, no one has the right to determine the narrative for another human being. 
and pronounce judgment that they're they're communist or or secular because social, the term social justice comes from you know uh, secular uh, origins. I mean, there are many a plethora of things that come from uh, secular origins. I mean, the Apple products we use came from. Uh, secular companies and corporations. When we do that, we're, we're playing the role of God. I, you saw that with the presidential election. If you vote for Biden, you are personally responsible for the uh, and guilty for the murder of millions and millions of babies, etc. Well, no one gets to determine that narrative uh, other than the person who's making that decision. I believe very strongly in that because it puts an immense amount of pressure on sincere and believing souls. And to me, it's just not something that, that is helping uh, the cause of Adventism as we're seeking to spread uh, his message to the world. So do you think that those that are interested in dealing with the current social issues of this day, such as racism, such as the plight of immigrants, should we not align with other groups and just have our own separate ministry and movement instead of attaching ourselves with other movements? I don't think uh, that's an absolute. In other words, just because they're not an Adventist establishment, we're not going to work with anyone. I mean, we already do work with a lot of entities. You know, we have FEMA, we have Adventist Community Services. Whenever a disaster takes place, we're working with non-Christian secular entities, and we do it all, uh, all the time. So when it comes to working with other establishments, I, I have no issue with that. I do think that we need to be uh, wise as serpents and harmless as doves and try to, to the best of our ability, work with other entities, but uh, do it in a way that would cause the least amount of friction, if that's possible. Um, and I understand these are very, very complex uh, issues and challenges. If, if you know my friends and and colleagues around me, those who utilize the term social justice, you know, to me, I do not judge them. That's perfectly fine, and that's that's what their conscience tells them that they have the right to do. So, for me, it's you know I'm just trying to stay in my lane and do what's best for what I think is ideal in a given circumstance. And I think others need to use their, their own minds that God has given them to make the best decisions that they can. And so that's pretty much my stance uh, on that. In following up with that statement, to what extent should Seventh-day Adventists be involved in politics? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Obviously, there's much discussion um, taking place surrounding that very thing. For me, um, I think I, I guess I'll put it this way in terms of uh, the uh, positive examples and negative examples. I I think um, we certainly shouldn't be involved with party or partisan politics. Right. No party gets it right. A hundred percent of the time. And we shouldn't be about implementing and legislating uh, Christian uh, ideals. Right. And, and this is one of the challenges, you know, we're depending and leaning on the state to legislate what we think is, is more Christian in our society. But, you know, God is not in the business of just producing a bunch of conformists. Right. He, he's about heart transformation and voluntary uh, service. And so what laws do is you might produce a lot of conformity and, and on the outside, things may look 
fine and dandy. But but what God is really looking for um, is, is hard change. And I think a, a prime example of that is, you know, the Civil Rights Act of, of 1964, right? You know, that it, a law was put into place that prevented, you know, our institutions from being segregated and so forth. And, and certainly it did a lot of good. I'm not saying that uh, it's, uh, that wasn't a good law. It certainly it, it was needed, and I'm glad that it, it passed. But having said all that, we, we look at our society uh, today. It certainly changed attitudes and perspectives for many, many countless thousands and millions, but certainly didn't do that for everybody. And so we need to recognize the limitations of, of legislating uh, what we think are the morals that everyone should live up to and focus really on voluntary acceptance of the gospel message. And, and that's what we should be doing uh, as a church and as individual members. There are certainly some things that we should very much be involved with. You know, I, I mentioned, you know, injustice, matters of injustice, racism. You know, when you see the, the, the children being separated from their parents uh, from Central and South America, that should concern uh, every Adventist. And I have no qualms about getting involved in issues like that where injustice is so um, explicit. Um, we should also be involved in, in temperance uh, issues, right? Um, alcohol was addressed in Ellen White's day, one of our the founders of the church, and and perhaps an equivalent issue in our in our in today's context is the legalization of, of marijuana. And I think Adventists should be concerned about temperance issues because ultimately the only way that an, any individual, any given individual can accept the truth uh, the, of the gospel is by understanding it, reflecting upon it, and then accepting it into uh, their lives. And, and drugs um, of any kind have a way of, of clouding the mind. And, and that was one of the reasons why Ellen White was so uh, passionate about temperance because she understood that you had to have a, a sound mind to have the capacity to receive and understand the truths that, that God uh, is desiring to present to his people and the world uh, at this time. Final question. Our church seems to be more and more fragmented and divided. Mm -hmm. uh, before, it seemed like it was progressive theology and conservative theology that was clashing, but now it seems like conservative Adventism itself is fragmenting. What mm. is the solution for reconciliation and unity as we're seeing so much fragmentation in the church? Yeah, it's a really good uh, observation. I mean, you know, we could spend hours just reflecting and talking about Adventism and conservative Adventism and all the various branches of of conservative uh, Adventism. And, and, you know, you, you have some differences in terms of West Coast conservative Adventism and East Coast conservative Adventism, for example. And so it, it's hard to put everyone in, in one boat, but certainly we were united uh, or many conservative Adventists were, were united over issues, you know, uh, ranging from, you know, the role of, of Ellen Y to the legitimacy of the Adventist church as the remnant church uh, of Bible prophecy, 
Uh, and then you also had, of course, women's ordination, etc. You know, no one ever expected that it would be secular ideology and secular uh, political considerations that would ultimately be the most divisive uh, thing that we, you know, issue that we've seen in, in recent years. And, you know, I don't believe we're going to eradicate this division entirely. Uh, that's to me is the reality. You know, scripture does talk about the wheat and tares uh, growing together uh, until the harvest. So, um, so we are going to see division and it may even uh, increase in its uh, intensity. But I also see this really as a, a spiritual problem, right? And, and that's what makes it so hard to address because ultimately no single individual can control or manage spiritual heart matters for the collective masses, right? And so uh, that that's a, a big challenge. Having said all that, there are some practical human um, things that we can try to um, address, right? To me, from my perspective, much of the problem stems from the media uh, outlets, the pundits, the radio personalities, determining, you know, really the narrative and the attitudes that we have of the other side, of the opposition. And it's often stated in the worst uh, possible terms, right? And so the fallout to this uh, toxic rhetoric is we, we begin to perceive others, the lens of this partisanship. And, and then, in essence, we begin to devalue uh, others as well, whether it's minorities or the political opposition, uh, etc. And and to me, that is one of the key places where uh, that's leading to the division we're seeing today is is we're not being informed on how we should perceive others on the basis of the Bible. Uh, you know, the story of the Good Samaritan. You look at Matthew chapters five through eight, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you see the uh, exchange between um, Jesus and the woman at the well. And, and so we're not permitting or allowing or being intentional in allowing Scripture to inform how we perceive even our enemies, uh, for example. And so I think if we get back to the Bible, understand the dangers of, of popular media, I'm not saying that, that we have to completely refrain from watching the news, etc. I, I personally, myself, I'm a, I'm a news junkie and, and I, I read a lot of news and, and I enjoy it. But I also have to stop myself sometimes because you can get so immersed and so engrossed and so inundated with it that it becomes uh, everything to you. And, and certainly, um, I think many were guilty of that during the whole election cycle, right? Because it was like, you know, it was something new every single day, sometimes every hour uh, it, it appeared. And, and so we need to get back to the basics and allowing the biblical worldview to inform who we are, what our role and mission is today, and uh, allow that to shape our attitudes and perspectives and not political uh, agendas uh, and et cetera. Do you think we have forgotten that we are a worldwide church in the United States sometimes? We do. And that's one of the things I stated in that devotional that uh, I was talking about earlier. You know, we are to reach every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And anything I do that could jeopardize 
my potential witness with an African-American, another Asian, uh, and, and what have you, I, I should refrain myself uh, from doing that. And, and so I think we, we, are, we have become very American-centric, if you will, as far as Adventists in this country. We've also taken on these nationalist sentiments uh, where we do see ourselves as superior over others in terms of our, our government, et cetera. And, and admittedly, this is a great country. Right. Um, Ellen White speaks of the ideals of the Constitution, specifically uh, the role uh, or the amendment that that separated the church and state um, in this country. And and so we, we do live in a wonderful country, but let's not make that a stumbling block in serving uh, others uh, in the world and, and, and make that a hindrance towards others accepting the gospel. Pastor M, thank you so much for joining us in our podcast. You're welcome anytime in this platform to share what is in your heart. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Peter, for, for having me. It's, uh, it's an honor to, to be on here, and God bless you and, and the ministry that you're continuing to do uh, across the, uh, North America. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much for those kind words. Can you close us off with a word of prayer? Sure, absolutely. Heavenly Father, we must first recognize uh, our own inability to, to really do anything uh, in the positive without depending on you for strength, for sustenance, and for wisdom. And we pray for a greater sense of humility as we seek to bring unity to a, a church that's uh, divided in, in many respects. And um, we just want to pray for your uh, continued leading and guidance on uh, as it pertains to religious liberty issues. And help us to go back to scripture and, and the spirit of prophecy where we may be informed on how we might relate to the world at this time in earth's history. So we thank you, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.